Welcome to the I Am Adamant podcast, where we are hoping to find truth in this crazy universe of opinions. I'm Lisa Bevere, and today I am joined with my dear friend, our, our whole family loves him and his whole family, Rabbi Brian Belletti. Welcome, Rabbi Brian. So good to be on here with you today, Lisa. Okay, so now I am looking at your bio here, and and I just, first of all, I want I want everybody to know the most important thing is that Rabbi Brian is both Sicilian and Jewish. I didn't even know that was possible. And he is amazing. He is a messianic rabbi. John came home from a trip and said, honey, I, I've got great news for you. And I said, what is it? And he said, we have a rabbi now. We have a rabbi. And uh, he has just been such a source of wisdom and encouragement. And I'm looking at your bio. Can you just tell them, I know that you're with um, Pastor Obed and Lizette Martinez, and you've been there for more than 13 years, and they pastored the amazing church, Destiny Church. And, and that's in the Palm Springs area. But can you tell them a little bit about you, uh, other things that I cannot pronounce? Yeah, by the way, we just hit the 14-year mark in March. We just hit Oh, our- wow. Yeah, it's been amazing. You know, it's funny that you say that Pastor Obed and Pastor Lisette, they're friends of ours from our home church in the South Bay area of, of South Los Angeles, Harbor Christian Center. And when we launched the church together, it was a year later that I met the rabbi that trained me. And he was a Christian at the time and found out that he was Jewish and basically began a journey where a messianic rabbi on one side was trying to win him over, and then a orthodox rabbi was trying to win him over on the other side, finding out that both his parents were originally Jewish. And that started my journey of basically relearning what I started at 13, learning Hebrew. It was perfected by an Israeli, Sari Ben Or, who lives in Haifa, Israel, and she's back there now. And she trained me for three years before I took over my own congregation. And I became his assistant rabbi. His name is Dr. Alan Barak, uh, Rabbi Barak, and he's in um, Hadness, Israel now. So for the last, I would say since at least 2006, my journey really began with the Messianic movement. And I would share with the church a lot of things I was learning in the Jewish world because I was really being immersed in Hebrew and really discovering the link between the Old and New Testament. And I really feel that believers today are lacking that integrity of Scripture when we try to divorce the New Testament from the original Testament. You know, it's kind of like building a house and destroying the foundation. I, I I know you said something to me that was so helpful. Can you, when you, so many of the Western believers look at the Old Testament as an angry God, and then like Jesus came and changed his mind and was like, don't kill them all. I've been among them. Can you explain how it's really should be seen? How should we look at the Old Testament? I think the only way to really understand that is to take the word old and new and put them on a shelf for a minute and go to the word testament, which means originally a covenant. If God is a covenant God, the way I'm a loving husband and father to my wife and my my daughter, who's almost 10 now, I can't even believe it. We understand covenant is very powerful. God is a covenant God. And it's not that he destroys the Old Testament and gives life in the New Testament. It's that he protects his own children who call upon his name in whatever generation he is speaking to or reconciling back to himself. And so because God started in Genesis and ends with Revelation being a covenant God, it's the fact that in the Old Testament, what we see is sometimes God has to 
fulfill the covenant terms, which is blessing and cursing. But the same happens for the New Testament because Jesus comes back on a white horse ready to defend his own with fire in his eyes and and his crown is king of kings and lord of lords. So God's not changing in 2000 years. It's our revelation that has changed. And one of the changes has been we've divorced the new covenant from the original other seven. It goes back to the Garden of Eden, number one, then Adam's covenant after the fall then Noah's covenant 10 generations later, then Abraham's covenant 10 generations after Noah. And then you get to Moses, which is the Sinai covenant known as the 10 commandments. And then you get to in the 40 year wandering Israel's covenant, which is why Israel's back in the land since 1948, God is fulfilling his promise and covenant to Abraham. And then finally you have David's covenant, which says a son of David has to sit upon the throne And then Jesus comes to fulfill the new covenant, which has to be fulfilling the other seven, especially that he's the Messiah, who's the son of David. So really, you can't divorce the old from the new. And God hasn't changed. It's that there are times where we see the love of God and then the wrath and protection of God for his people in the old. And we see the same in the new. Wow. I love that. I mean, and I I don't even know that I actually understood there was seven different covenants. And so just right there is fascinating to me. You know, um, This is the I Am Adamant podcast, and I just want to ask you, what is something that you're adamant about? Well, probably you've heard it even in the passion of my voice when I was talking about the covenants. I'm passionate and adamant about the Word of God and the true understanding of Scripture. I believe we're only as strong as our revelation. And if our revelation is lacking, we will not be relevant in this this community that we're planted, in the family that we live in, in the church or congregation that we're a part of, in the world that we've been purposed to change and be world changers in, we will miss the revelation so we will no longer be relevant. And my understanding of scripture has really developed over the 48 years I've been on this planet. I've learned that God has not changed, but I'm changing. I'm transforming and I'm renewing based upon my revelation. So I'm really passionate about getting believers today that are, sadly enough, are almost biblically illiterate. Some can't even quote John 3.16, let alone know that it's connected to the concept of the, the serpent that was lifted up by Moses, right? That represent this bronze serpent, this copper serpent that judges sin as as the serpent is the symbol of sin. Jesus was lifted up just like Moses lifted up the serpent. If you didn't understand the Old Testament, you would never know the background of John 3.16. How Mm. beautiful of a picture, a word picture that is, to see that Jesus became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ, in the Messiah. And, you know, I, I do love your passion about the Word of God. And, and I know that being around you and uh, having conversations with you has actually ignited my son's passion about the Word of God, too, because it does come alive because you love it and you you don't have that disconnect where a lot of people are like, hey, I, 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 I like the New Testament. I don't like the Old Testament. And you've been able to to merge these things. Let me ask you something. We're, we're talking about the whole concept of adamant, and it's about finding truth in a universe of opinions. What would you say about our culture today? What, like, just let's speak to why we have a, a culture that does not believe that truth is a constant. They believe it's something that's in flux. Can, can you talk about, as somebody who loves the covenant of God and loves the word of God, the, the, the dangers in that and the challenges that we have uh, to face as parents and ministers and believers? You know, it's amazing when you think about being a parent. If God is a parent, 
I think about how many times my revelation of God grew when I understood that protecting my daughter and even reminding her of things that I once taught her is very important for her growth. And I think where we're at in our culture is that the church is fighting the surrounding culture instead of changing the culture. We were not meant to be influenced by others. We're meant to be influencers. So what that means is like an adamant stone, which in the the Torah and in the prophets of the Old Testament, we actually see it referenced a few times. It's a word shamir in Hebrew, and it's translated adamant to be like flint, but it also is translated a diamond. And it meant to be so firm and so sharp and so penetrable that it leaves an impression wherever it leaves its mark. And the idea of shamir is also from shamar in Hebrew to guard. And so when you think of guarding something, protecting something, you're so passionate about what you believe, you're not going to let someone influence you. You're going to influence them. You're going to leave a lasting impression. And the imagery is God taking a diamond and inscribing on the tablets of our heart, not only his word, but even when we err from that covenant, the sin, like the sin of Judah in Jeremiah 17, that with a diamond, he writes that on our hearts. The Holy Spirit does the same thing by writing and inscribing the word of God on our hearts. So I believe the culture is trying to change the church instead of the church changing the world. And I think that's what we have to get back to, a true revelation of what the scriptures say from Genesis to Revelation, and not divorce our our current culture and the way we do church, if you will, from the Old Testament, because the Older Testament is the foundation of the house of God. It is the first principles of the oracles of God. So for instance, uh, commandments that seemingly are outdated, no longer relevant, our culture says, throw those out. And my understanding of scripture, even the apostle Paul was, as a Pharisee, he took the letter of the law and tried to do what rabbis in the first century did. They said, well, if you just read the letter, it can bring judgment and death. It can kill. But if you draw out the principle or the spirit of the law, which means the spiritual principle behind every commandment and the reason for which the Holy Spirit inspired them through Moses, then all of a sudden we can draw out the principle and bring it forward by first asking, what did the author intend to communicate to the original audience, and then realizing we're in a different world, how do we then communicate the same timeless principle to a current culture? And I I find that, sadly, we have two extremes. We have a church that is is preaching, I don't condemn you, and then a church that is preaching, go and sin no more, but we don't have the merging always of those, you are not condemned, go and sin no more. And I think the church is kind of known for what she is against rather than what she is for. So um, how do we become proactive as a church to influence culture? Well, first of all, I think we have to do what Jesus did. We need to leave an adamant, lasting mark in the sand. Remember when Jesus not only stood for the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, he wrote something on the ground. And it, well, scholars have, for thousands of years, have tried to figure out what did Jesus write on the ground. And remember how in the days of Daniel and Israel being in Babylon and Persia, do you remember, Belshazzar, we, we have the writing on the wall where God yes. wrote his finger, many, many Tekla Farsi, which in Aramaic means, you know, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Well, that's because originally God wrote the Ten Commandments, those prohibitions and those positive blessings of of obeying God's word. He wrote them with his own finger. And so when Jesus wrote in that divine expression, 
something with his finger, we absolutely know what it was. He was writing the word of God. And I can tell you exactly where he went. He went in the, in the Torah, especially Leviticus, where it talks about when you find someone, a couple that's caught in the act of adultery, you're to bring out the man and the woman. Everyone knew that what was happening was only the woman was brought, but right. not the man. The question is, where was the man? And how can you have evidence that she was caught in the act of adultery when you didn't bring the man she was caught in the act with? The question is, could he have been a Pharisee they were protecting? Could there have been a need to rush her to judgment and to not even have a formal Sanhedrin or court dealing and actually condemn her in the street? That was not protocol. And so Jesus was basically probably even writing the verse with a few letters in Hebrew, by the way, of the fact that you can't be unjust judges. And with the same judgment you judge someone else, you will be judged. Each one of them dropped their stone because in those days, the death penalty should have been stoning, which by the way, was becoming outlawed by the Roman empire. You had to use death by crucifixion. And they dropped their stones because they realized they were being unjust judges because you that's without even this sin cast the first stone. I'm sure they had all been sleeping with prostitutes and different uh women that were not their wives. I'm sure there was a lot going on that they were covering up because Jesus said they were clean on the outside, but filthy cups on the inside. So the Pharisees were caught in an act of being one, an unjust judge. Second, they they were probably doing things they could be condemned for themselves. And if they were caught bringing a judgment without evidence, without the man, they could be considered an unjust judge and be put to death. So they all Mm. dropped their stones. Because without two or three witnesses, every word's not established. If you don't bring the man and the woman, how do you have two witnesses? You wouldn't. (laughs) So Jesus actually did use the Old Testament, which, by the way, many believers don't realize he never had a New Testament one day in his life. In his earthly ministry of three, three, three and a half years being on this planet and three and a half years with the disciples exactly, teaching them the Torah and the prophets, he only had the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, and he never had the New because the first writer of the New Testament is the Apostle Paul, probably Galatians, and then First and Second Thessalonians. So we really don't have any of the disciples using the quote-unquote New Testament books, because the New Covenant was a vow Jesus made before him and his father, and it was finished when he died and committed his spirit to the Father, and his flesh then collapsed on the cross or died without the need for breaking his legs. We see the covenant was fulfilled. But we do not see a New Testament passage even being written till after the resurrection. You know, you were such an incredible blessing to me when I was writing Adamant. I was actually away with my family. Eleven of us were jammed into a house and I had ridden my bicycle over to a friend's carriage house to write, left my phone behind. And when I came back, there was a message from you. And I don't know if you remember this, but you said the Holy Spirit told me that you were writing today. And you said, whatever it is that you have like touched on today, you need to pursue it. And, and I remember thinking, <laughs> number one, I was shocked that you knew that. And, and number two, I wrote you back and I said, I, I was writing on adamant in hate. <laughs> and then you wrote me back and you, you gave me Shamir. Yeah. And, and then you made the comment, you said, even before I told you it was adamant hate, you said, whatever you've touched on is the reason why an entire generation has been immunized against truth. Right. And 
I just remember, I, the, I tell you what, the fear of the Lord, the, the goodness of God, the awe of God all converged on me in that moment. And then the next morning, I, I went back to that house. And I, before I even got on my laptop, I said, God, you, you need to talk to me. I, I don't understand who a God, a God who is love, how he hates. I, don't, I, I need you to talk to me about that. And I remember the Holy Spirit said, I hate what unmakes love. Right. I hate what unmakes those I love. I hate what distorts your image and undermines mine. And I, I just, I just want to thank you for just a your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and b that that incredible mandate to say be daring enough to actually pursue something that doesn't make sense to you initially. And as I began to dive into that, then I, I saw everything you've already been saying, how everything, and we got to emphasize thing that God hates is about protecting who God loves because God loves everyone, but because he loves everyone, does it means he can't love everything. Right. And can, can you kind of talk about that in the, in the idealist? Cause there's a lot of people that were like, you know, Hey, uh, Everything in the Old Testament, you know, like weaving of garments and shrimp that just if you're going to if you're going to say it's wrong to have maybe uh, same sex marriage or whatever, then you've got to stop eating shrimp. You've got to stop weaving, you know, and, and you and I've had that conversation that there's a moral law and then there's the health laws and live life at your right. best laws. Yeah. And 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 I I really think that a lot of people don't understand there's two different things Mm -hmm. and they also don't understand why, you know, why God doesn't just change his mind about everything. You know, if, if it can, you speak to some of that? Yeah. And one of the things I want to say from the very beginning is that we have to understand that we're talking to a group of slaves that came out of Egypt. And so for 40 years, they were going to wander because God turned 40 days of serving the land into 40 years because they wandered, because they wondered whether they were going to make it to the promised land and they didn't trust God. And so God had to give them a lot of things that was going to be survival mode for them. For instance, I can't imagine going through the heat of the desert and eating pork and having the trichinae worm give you trichinosis and you dying before you even make it into the first year. There was a lot of things that they had to do, even certain clothes. They couldn't mix certain materials in their clothing. Why? They were going to have to last for 40 years in the wilderness. That means stretching and tearing and wear and tear. It was going to be one of those things that even beyond our logical mindset, there's super rational commands in the Torah, and there are certain commandments that are just rational. They make a lot of sense. And I think sometimes we get to this thing of wanting to have an anarchist spirit of, I don't want any law. I don't want anyone controlling me. You're not the boss of me. That's our culture today. But what would this country be without laws? Can you imagine everyone going through the red light and how many accidents there would be per day? Uh, It would be a nightmare. It would be a nightmare. There'd have to be some level of law. So first of all, let's talk about the nature of God. There are three things that probably is the Gospel of John loves to focus on. And that's light, life, and love. Light, life, and love. God is light, God is life, and God is love. And so light is the manifestation of his essence, his glory. And love is the expression of his divine nature. 
and then and 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 life is the existence of his nature. So when you talk about God, talk about the love of God, you got to think of it as light. The opposite of light is what? Darkness. Darkness. And so it's interesting by definition when you have an absence of light, you have darkness. And so in the same way when you have an absence of love, you have hate. So actually darkness defines light. And what you hate defines what you love. Mm-hmm. In fact, what you say no to strengthens your yes. So if I love my wife, I'm saying no or hating everyone else in comparison. You're saying no to pornography. You're saying no to adultery. Do by definition. And so it's not that I'm so much hating the pornographer or hating pornography. What I'm saying is I love my wife so much. Anything that takes me away from that primal love like a thief coming to my home to 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 take the life of my child or my my wife, I would have to say, I hate robbers. I don't hate the person. I didn't know the person. He came in with a mask on, but I hate the robber and the murderer that comes into my home. And I would have to take him out by any means necessary because I love my wife and my daughter so much. So when you define it that way, how could America be the nation that we are if we didn't have an army, if we didn't have Marines, if we didn't have the Navy, if we didn't have our armed forces, if we didn't protect ourselves and sometimes go in and offensively do war, we wouldn't have a nation mm-hmm. today. And I think that's the same way we have to look at the at Israel in its present uh, political confusion, what's going on in Israel, dividing the land and the Palestinian, the Jew. There's so much tension. And it's an old argument that goes back to two brothers warring against each other from different moms, but same father, Abraham. And so in the same way, God has to give Israel the right to protect himself. He also has the right to destroy those that try to destroy what belongs to him. And so I think it's just by definition, you can't have a loving God without having a righteous, holy God that brings wrath against that which is not like him. And, you know, so many people would say that's only an Old Testament God, and you would say this is a covenant-protecting God. It's a covenant-protecting God that we'll find the same God in the, Old, in the Old Testament as we find in the New Testament. And remember, Ananias and Sapphira, <laughs> remember what happened to them. Remember that in the book of Revelation, it tells us that he's going to come destroy those nations that come against Israel. What he's saying is, you're coming against the apple of my eye. God's not changed in almost 6,000 years of human right it's adam but god has to hate as an opposition to love if he really loves then he has to hate something to love something and that might seem too humanistic to actually define god that way but we have to think that god loves with a perfect love and when he judges he judges with a perfect judgment and when he has wrath it's righteous indignation it's not based upon ego or attitude it's based upon doing what it's what is right because it's the right thing to do a sniper takes out someone that's going to take out the president. Guess what? That was the right that was the right thing to do to take out the sniper. Well, even the New Testament is is very clear. So it says in Romans 12, 9, it says, let love be genuine. Yes. And this is what you're talking about. It says, abhor what is evil or hate what is evil. Hold fast or cling to what is good. Right. And so you you cannot actually, it's it, loving everything. It's not even, it's not genuine. It, it, that would be ingenuous. And I think we have a generation that has decided that love is God rather than God is love. And so they're trying to define everything under the parameter of love without 
embracing what God says is healthy or, you know, how we were created or how we were made. And, um, you know, I know that, I know that, um, you have written curriculum for full art, correct? Yes. Uh, well, actually I've written curriculum that is able to be transferred into a couple of different universities that is accredited right now out of vision international, originally out of Australia, but has a local base here in California. And it's made for churches that want to have a local campus on their, their church grounds. And so it's right now it could basically in a two year span, give you an AA degree. So that's the beginning of my work. And it's, it's amazing that as I've just finished it this last um, winter, basically, as I even look back at it, I look back and think, goodness, what a transformation, not only I've gone through having to take what was in my heart and in my head and put it on paper so that somebody reading it or someone going through the course can actually hear my heart as well as understand my thought process, my intellect, because we can all be intellectual, but we want to get to the heart of God. And I believe by defining the curriculum through the understanding of covenant has really shaped not only this, the mindset of the students, I believe it's going to shape the world one day. And I really believe that, you know, even what we're doing right now is just the beginning of beginnings for what God wants to do. Not about me, not about any one of us. It's about God's kingdom being built and us seeing Jesus for who he really is, for then we will be like him. I love that. And and I, you know, I, I know that you've talked to Addison. I know you've talked to John. I know you've talked to Alec. And uh, there's just something about your ability to communicate the word of God where you do truly communicate the heart of it and not the letter, that you can communicate the spirit of it and and not the law of it. And I love that about you. And, you know, I, I quote you all the time. I'm like, I've got my Rabbi Brian and I just could not wait to introduce everybody else to you. And I want people to know out there that they can actually connect with you through Facebook and it's under Brian Belecci. And then Twitter is at Rabbi and it's uh, underscore Brian. So yeah. at Rabbi underscore Brian. And they could, if they're in the uh, Palm Spring area, they could visit your church. They could visit. Synagogue in San Jacinto. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be awesome. But um, you know what, kid, I ask you just to close in prayer. And I, I just want you to pray that that because I feel like right now we have two extremes right now in the American church. We have those that are preaching grace as a license to sin. And then we have those that are preaching legalism. And I feel like the church has got to find her way where she can declare the truth in love. And um, I just would love you to pray that that merging of both of those covenants would happen. Yes, that's awesome. I, and at the end, I'm going to actually say the number 624 through 26 blessing in Hebrew, if that's okay. Absolutely. Abinu Malkainu, our Father, our King, I thank you, Abba. I thank you for Lisa Bevere. I thank you for Messenger International. I thank you for the listeners, of those that are listening. I thank you internationally. You're doing something in the world to bring the Messiah, to reconcile the world back to you, to establish who you are in the earth, to restore our revelation of a relevant God who is not speaking from the old with a sense of not being able to understand his own words or to be able to be confused with our, the thoughts of God. Father, you want us to understand who you are. And Father, I thank you that as a covenant God, you are the same yesterday, today, 
and forever, as is your son, Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. I thank you that we are understanding not only the Jewish roots of our faith in this day and the richness of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you're restoring back who Jesus really is. That Father, even as a Jew, he didn't just come for the Jew, he came for the whole world. But from that Jewish mindset, that Hebraic mindset, you are restoring a ahava, a love for people, a love that does not compromise who we are as people and who you are as God. You are sovereign. You're both a loving God and you're a holy God. I thank you through the Torah, the prophets, the writings, the New Testament, the New Covenant scriptures. You have given us not only the Messiah, your son, Jesus, but you've given us apostles that wrote very eloquently like the apostle Paul and, and, and taught us how to really bring the revelation together. I pray that no matter where this podcast goes, whoever's listening, no matter if they're rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, young or old, I pray that you would give us a revelation of scripture, a revelation that doesn't change the nature of yes. God, the covenant of God, the people of God. And Father, as the priest of old would bless the people, I pray that you not only give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand the things of God, the deep things of God, but I pray this blessing in Hebrew that it will bless your people. May the Lord bless and keep all of us today. Shine his face upon us and show us his favor and grace. May he lift up his countenance upon us and establish peace for us, our children and our children's children. For your namesake and love, in the name of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Anointed One, destroying every yoke, Give us peace of heart and mind. Bless all those listening. And Father, let us have that in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. You know, I hope that you have just felt so challenged and enriched. I love what Rabbi Brian shared about God being light, life, and love. And I want that to be your parameters as you, you receive what has been imparted. And if you want to actually learn more about the book, Adamant, Finding Truth in a Universe of Opinions, check out IamAdamant.com. Rabbi Brian, I can't thank you enough. I just look forward to the day when all of your family and all of my family will be at the dinner table together. It'll be loud and it will be incredibly fun. You're a blessing to everyone who knows you. You really are. Same to you and your family, Lisa. Love you guys. Shalom, shalom, everyone. Shalom. Hey, I want you to subscribe because when you subscribe, we can get everything to you right away. We'd also love to see you rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. To learn more about the book, Adamant, Finding Truth in a Universe of Opinions, check it out at IamAdamant.com.